If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. Today, we have a very special reverse episode of the podcast with Pro Bono Partnership Atlanta's Sarisha Ganta and Robin Miller. We've only done one reverse episode up to this point, so it's worth a quick explanation. Earlier this year, Sarisha interviewed Robin and I on the Pro Bono Partnership Atlanta podcast, and that episode just got released on their SoundCloud platform last week. This week, we are releasing that episode, which is about mission creep, and we are releasing that episode on the successful nonprofits feed so that all of our listeners can hear it as well. If you really like what you hear, then make sure you go over to SoundCloud and subscribe to the Pro Bono Partnership Atlanta's podcast. Currently, SoundCloud is the only platform that you can get the podcast on. Before I end this intro and we roll over to the Pro Bono Partnership Atlanta's podcast, I just want to share a little bit with you about Pro Bono Partnership. They're an Atlanta-based nonprofit that provides legal counsel and also coordinates Pro Bono Legal Counsel for nonprofits all over the state of Georgia. I have been working with them for gosh, over a decade in one way or another. In fact, when I was a permanent executive director, my organization was actually a client of theirs. Now as a consultant, I work all over the country and I work in cities that have an organization like Pro Bono Partnership Atlanta and I work in cities that do not have an organization like this. I will share with you that cities that do not have an organization like Pro Bono Partnership have such a harder time securing pro bono legal counsel for even the smallest matters. So I am so grateful for the work they do in Atlanta and in Georgia, and I was so excited to be a part of their podcast. 
Without further ado, I hope you enjoy their podcast episode. Remember, you can find it on SoundCloud. And also remember that we will be releasing the regular weekly episode of the Successful Nonprofits podcast this Thursday. Hello, and welcome to the PBPA podcast. I'm your host, Sarisha Gunta. Today, our guests will share some tips and considerations, both legal and logistical, to help your nonprofit avoid mission creep. Before I introduce today's guests, I'd like to tell you, our audience, a bit about the Pro Bono Partnership of Atlanta. PBPA strengthens our community by engaging volunteer attorneys to provide nonprofits with free business legal services. For more information on who is eligible to be a client or to apply for consideration, visit our website at pbpatl.org. Our website also has tons of resources, including articles and webcasts specific to Georgia nonprofits and their business legal concerns. And please keep in mind that this podcast is general information, not specific legal counsel. Contact your attorney for guidance on your specific questions. And now, joining me today are Robin Miller, PBPA's Senior Corporate and Tax Counsel, and Dolph Goldenberg, a nonprofit consultant, host of his own podcast named Successful Nonprofits, and self-proclaimed charity nerd. Thank you both for joining us today. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I'm grateful. It's wonderful to be able to be here with Dolph and you, Sarisha. And Dolph, to start off, how would you define mission creep? Mission creep is difficult to define, but you know it when you see it. And typically, when you see it, it's an organization has started some unrelated programs or services that in no way either are related to current programs or services or serving current constituents, things like that. But again, it's really difficult to define. And it's one of the reasons why boards and senior leadership teams of nonprofits spend a lot of time, hopefully, really trying to figure out, does this fit within our mission? Does this not fit within our mission? One of the things that I think we definitely see when boards are having that deliberative conversation is the question, is this strategic expansion? Is this the direction we want to be moving in? Or is this more of a perilous creep? Sort of like when, gosh, 100 plus years ago, we brought kudzu to the United States thinking, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to make great feed for our cows and our goats and everything else that we like to get milk from and eat. And then it turns out that it was an invasive species and took over pretty much most of the southeastern United States. That's sort of what mission creep looks like. And why should it be avoided? Oh, my gosh. There are so many reasons, Sarisha, for organizations to avoid mission creep. And as I think about it, I think that there are essentially four reasons Before I give you those reasons, though, I want to share a story with you. I once worked with a housing organization. This organization provided housing and housing services to thousands of people a year. And every fall, this organization did a coat drive where they collected about 500 coats. Now, it was a little bit ironic that they would do a coat drive because they had partnerships with thrift stores in the area where their clients could go and get free coats any time of the year. They could do that in November. They could do that if there was a cold snap in March. For this organization, every fall when they would mobilize this coat drive, 
they would end up taking hundreds of hours of staff resources to put the code drive together. And those resources could have been spent in other ways. So let's just quickly kind of walk through, using that as an example, the four main reasons you should be avoiding mission creep. The first is it dilutes your focus and brand as an organization. So some people actually started to think that we were really a coat or really clothing donation center as well. And what that meant was it confused, which is number two, some of our funders and our donors. We would actually, as an example, when winter was over, have people stop by the office in April or May and give us a big parka that they went to like the Himalayas with. This became a problem for us. We did not have the storage for it. And we pretty much had to go give it away to a thrift store and it became a problem for them because no one needs coats in the southeastern United States in June. The last two reasons, it frankly creates a much less efficient organization, which I just described. If you're doing a program that really interrupts the other work you're doing, you're not nearly as efficient or effective at doing the work that you're supposed to be doing. So those are the primary reasons why I would never suggest an organization engage in mission creep. Those are really good points. And Robin, can you remind us what the legal purpose of a mission is and why would the IRS care if a nonprofit changes their mission? So your mission is fundamental to everything that you do as an organization, and it's the basis for why the organization exists. And so for 501c3 organizations, they must qualify under that code section as one of the exempt activities. So the exempt activities for 501c3 are things, and people are somewhat familiar with this, it's got to be charitable, educational, literary, protection um, of cruelty for animals and children, and so on. And, and so for an organization to be recognized as a 501c3, it must meet one of those exempt activities. And then it must, most importantly, maintain that activity. And, and continue to maintain that activity in order to remain an exempt organization. So when an organization is first starting out, it's going to complete its Form 1023 application, which it submits to the IRS that says, hey, here's who we are and here's how we meet Section 501c3 of the Internal Revenue Code and how we're going to have this exempt activity. And then each year, a 501c3 is required to complete a Form 990, which in that it's called an information return. And they provide information to the IRS about how they're conducting their mission and what that mission continues to be. And so it's really the basis of who the organization is. It's almost, it's almost like we have a name. Each of us has a name and that is who we are, you know, who we are. And fundamentally, you know, deep down who you are as a person. Well, that's what your mission is as an organization. It's fundamentally who you are, and how you operate. In addition, your board in most states, and particularly in Georgia, there's a duty of obedience by the board to live up to that mission and to continue to promote and commit to fulfilling that mission. I mean, there have been a few organizations that have gone out of business because they completed their mission. Um, it doesn't happen often, but you, you'd hope that it could happen more often. You know, if we could solve homelessness by fulfilling that mission. Wow, that would be outstanding, wouldn't it? That would be fantastic. And does it matter how much a nonprofit shifts its mission if the nonprofit just pivots versus leaps into a completely new direction? What should a nonprofit take into consideration? So 
501c3s that have been around a long time are going to shift their mission over time. And that's taking into account what Dolph said, that sort of strategic, thoughtful decision-making by the board about what the next activity is that relates to the mission. How are they going to continue to work towards achieving that mission? Um, And sometimes shifts are temporary and sometimes they're more long-term. So you often see very small incremental changes as they get into what, how to address that mission, how to achieve it. And also as society changes, sometimes there's a need or as governmental regulations change, there's sometimes a need to make small changes. And then there's things like the situation we're in now, what I call COVID world, where some of our organizations have needed to shift to um, providing emergency food to some of their clients as opposed to some of the other activities they might provide. And that sort of temporary emergent circumstances is just fine. But then there's, I like to talk about the YMCA because it's a really good example of a shift over time. You know, when the YMCA was originally created, it it was um, in larger cities and it was a place where people could, men, young men could move to a new city and they could stay at the YMCA and get access to different job opportunities to help them get themselves on their feet. Well, certainly today we don't see, think of the YMCA as doing that. We see it as more of a a fitness and family facility that offers a variety of different services and programming. That change didn't happen overnight. So year after year, those changes were slow and incremental. And the IRS was aware of those changes because they informed them through that Form 990 each year. But if you're an organization that maybe provides services to the homeless And then you switch to providing a whole different line of services, maybe fostering pets, for instance, which would be a huge shift. Um, That will, um, in an immediate change like that, that would be completely different from what you got, what the IRS recognized you to do as a charity um, or as an exempt organization. And so that is would be an inappropriate kind of change to make from one to the next overnight. The another one more area I do want to mention, and that is like new clients versus existing clients. So sometimes organizations will start and they'll be representing a certain group of clients and they want to expand. You know, maybe they're providing free um, counseling services and then they want to provide um, counseling services. So they see a gap that there's still a group of people that really can't completely afford those services. So can they charge something to people that can sort of afford to pay? And there's a whole theory behind why they should charge and the benefits of that. And then, um, but they're certainly not at the level where for-profit private businesses are providing counseling. And so can they add on those sort of new different clients and how does that work? And those are areas into, but they should look at that really carefully and should really reach out to legal counsel or accounting counsel to um, to guide them through that process. Or, or you know, if there's something doing some new programming, someone like Dolph who can help them think through that shift in their business activities. And Dolph, we've talked about expansion versus creep. How might fundraising influence an organization's mission? 
can grant seeking and fundraising opportunities actually be a cause of mission creep? They absolutely can. And I think that there's a push pressure and a pull pressure there. I'm actually going to start off, I love Robin's phrase, COVID world. So in this time of COVID world, I think a lot of organizations are seeing both this push and this pull. The push is there are an inordinate number of foundation and government funders that have released requests for proposals or NOFAs and pretty much given nonprofits the opportunity to apply for funding around some very specific COVID-related programs and mobilization, whether that is uh, services for people who are unemployed or support services for people who are um, having economic issues and maybe facing eviction or have food scarcity issues, et cetera. So that's sort of the push is there are all of these funders right now that want to fund this. There are a lot of chief executives and development directors and grant writers that see this as a great opportunity. So they may jump into really creating a new program that's probably not actually the best fit for their organization. But here's the poll. We're also facing a recession probably unlike anything we've ever seen in our lifetime. So there's also these chief executives who have a strong, understandable sense of responsibility for the people that they serve, but also the people that they're employing. And so in a lot of cases, these chief executives may be thinking, you know, this is maybe not the best fit, but if we can bring in $100,000, it's going to save three jobs, and we really need to save those three jobs. So there's a push and a pull there. And that's also where I think the board plays such an important role. I've been a chief executive. I've been an interim chief executive. I will share with you that I think any of us that have been an executive director have been guilty of this at some point or another, where we see a program and what we see is the opportunity to expand or, in the case of a recession, not not have to have cuts as deep as what you thought you were going to have to have. And a good board is the board that says, let's take a step back. We know you're excited about this, but let's really examine this and make sure this is the right fit for us. And in that case, what would you recommend to organizations that have recently been moved by the heightened awareness around racial inequities? And what if there are opportunities for grants around DEI? How can a nonprofit participate in the movement while avoiding mission creep? That is a great question. From my perspective, I absolutely see that there's going to be a number of foundation funders that are going to be looking to fund diversity, equity, and inclusion-related projects at a much higher level in terms of funding per grant, but also at a much higher level in terms of total funding. So there will be a lot of that push opportunity to expand for nonprofits. I believe that the first thing a nonprofit needs to do is that tough internal work within its staff team, within its board, that culture work. We're really examines what its role in oppression has been and finds ways that it can create a culture and policies and procedures that break down oppression and barriers and create greater inclusion and diversity and equity. And so the first thing I think is instead of saying, hey, we're going to go create a program, whether that's a training program for the broader community or a more laser-focused program, I think the first thing is for these organizations to go back to the funder and say, we need to do this internal tough work first, but this is going to cost some money. We need to bring in a consultant that specializes in DEI, and we need to have them come in and do an organizational assessment 
help us create some goals and work toward this so that we as an organization can live the values. Once we've done that, we can maybe look at other programming, but this is the first step. The last thing that I think for organizations that really want to be engaged in that programming, if it is not fit within their mission, is to partner with another organization. And so it could be they can subcontract with another nonprofit so that they can ensure the communities they serve get the training that's appropriate for that community while also still staying true to their mission. And if a C3 strategically decides it's going to change or modify their mission, in that case, Robin, what are the legal responsibilities of the nonprofit? I want to first begin by echoing what Dolph just said, which is the better move is to find someone already in the space and to partner with them. Um, it's it's do what you're good at and leave those that are good at other things. Let them do that um, and support them uh, if that is something that has become important to you. But should a C3 decide that it's going to change or modify its mission? Um, it, it kind of depends on the extent of that change. Like I said before, you know, some like uh, one of my organizations that I work with recently, they were working um, with uh, women who had been uh, addicted and were getting them training and housing and rehabilitate, you know, getting, they had, they'd already, they're already um, not addicted any longer, but helping them to get on their feet. And they, in the last couple of years, added, helping veterans to do the same thing, um, whether or not those veterans had any addictions of any kind. Um, and, and there was a discussion by the board, does that make sense? And the services that they're providing are virtually identical. It's just a different group of individuals who are in the same place. And so it was an easy modification of their mission. And they came to me and said, okay, so we're going to do this. And we talked through it. And the board had those discussions. And then we talked about, do we need to change the bylaws? Do we need to change the articles? And I think the question is simply, you know, if you're going to make this official, um, you do want to modify your mission in your bylaws and your articles. And you always want those to be the same and consistent. And then you also want to make that change on your Form 990. The more that you can share with the IRS, which ultimately relates to the public because your 990 is public, it's on GuideStar, um, and it's accessible and people go and look at that. The more that you can be consistent and clear about what that mission is and who you're serving, the better you are, better off you are. If it's something more significant than that, um, you can always reach out to Pro Bono Partnership of Atlanta if you're a client and get assistance with those, particularly the Article of Incorporation Amendments. Um, bylaws are, are a little more simple if you're just changing your mission. If there's more significant changes, of course, reach out. Uh, but we have attorneys that are happy to help with those sorts of changes. If it's a more significant change, you really have to look at what makes sense. Because if you're going from that example I gave, which wasn't a very good example, but from being a homeless organization to serving foster animals um, and pet adoption, um, that's a left turn, as I like to think of it. And in that case, you really have an obligation to go back to the IRS and get approval. The problem is today, it costs $30,000 to get that private letter ruling request to be considered for that change. And so in many ways, 
it's almost easier to dissolve that entity and start new um, and, and start a whole new nonprofit. And frankly, if you're going to make that kind of change systematically, you might be better off with a new organization, with new people committed to that. So starting with that thoughtful, uh, and Dolph could, could talk to this better than I can, but that thoughtful approach to how this organization is going to be established, what it's going to consist of, who, how it's going to run, what kind of board you need, all of that changes as the mission changes. Um, there's some basic fundamentals, but um, you know how you structure an organization very much should be based around what your mission is. So, um, so that might be the easier thing. Or one other option is to spin that activity out to another entity that is already doing that activity um, or just spinning it out into its own new nonprofit and keep the main entity conducting the activity that it was conducting um, as its primary mission. Um, and we've seen that over and over again, where you've got an organization that maybe serves um, those in need in a community and maybe they're providing utility assistance and food assistance and um, and maybe there's a, like a thrift store and they're providing clothing. But then they realize this community needs a place for um, women and children who are homeless to live. Well, they might get that up and started, but spin it off into its own entity because now it could become bigger than their services and you've got potential incredible mission creep. Um, but but they know the community and they know what's needed so they can help kind of create that spin-off entity. And finally, Dolph, if a nonprofit is already far into mission creep, what should they do? So Risha, last year, one of the strategic planning processes that I facilitated, the board had strong concerns that multiple programs were really not as mission focused and frankly, not as effective or beneficial for the organization. And so what we did was the board and the executive team and myself, we created what we referred to as a strategy screen. And it was a seven or eight step screen that allowed the executive team and also the board to walk each existing program through each step. So is this related to our mission? Yes or no? Does this have a financial impact? Is it positive? Is it negative? Is this a program or service that our constituents are really calling for? So it was a multi-step strategy screen, but one of those steps was a close look about whether or not it was related to the mission. And then ultimately, the organization made some decisions about the continuation of programs. And as you look at continuing programs, you've got multiple options. But before I talk about those options, I do also just want to say that this organization did something that I thought was a great idea. They, as part of their strategic plan, have taken the strategy screen to evaluate any new opportunities. And gosh, they look really prescient now because we're at a time when there's a lot of new opportunities that are related directly to COVID, that are related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and that are related to our recession. And so now when those opportunities come their way, they run them through their strategy screen, one, two, three, four, five, six. And at the end of the seventh step, they can say, yes, this is a program we want to do, or no, this is not a program we want to do. Now, for there were a couple programs that did not make it through the strategy screen. And so they decided they needed an exit strategy. And they essentially developed two exit strategies. One exit strategy is just waiting until the grant ends. In one case, the grant was going to end in about eight or nine months. So it just made the most sense to 
continue to have a good relationship with that funder, fulfill the terms of the grant, and then close out the program. In another case, the funding was not going to be ending for a few years. And so they found another nonprofit that they could spin that program off to. Now, what that meant for the other nonprofit is obviously they got a new program that they were able to integrate. They also got a new funder relationship. But for my client, the funder that they were working with had mad respect for them and really thought, wow, this is an intentional organization. They're not all about the money. They're about serving their constituency well and staying true to their mission. Wow, that is um, that's great strategy. And Dolph, Robin, thanks so much for sharing this great information with us. I really appreciate you both taking this time to talk with me. And to our audience, we hope you found this conversation to be helpful. Thanks for joining us in this episode of the PBPA podcast. Be well. I am not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This material has been provided for informational purposes only, is not intended to provide, and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Always consult a qualified, licensed professional about such matters.